In just a few minutes, I'm going to ask the worship band to come up. And uh, we're going to kind of set the pace for the new year with worship. Something we mentioned Sunday, that we're going to enter the new year, hopefully, with the absence of complaining and with the presence of praising. And so we want to set that tone tonight before we leave here. In the New Testament, in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. And as I went through parts of that prayer the last few days, I thought of my prayer for all of us, for all of you. And I found that it's very much the same as the prayer that Jesus made for his disciples. He talks about them being in the world, but not of the world. He prays to the Father that he wouldn't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one while they're there. Jesus Christ praying for his own. Boy, talk about something that would make you really happy. You know, it's great when somebody says, I love you, man, I'm praying for you. But what if Jesus says, and he does, I love you, I'm praying for you. That's a sure deal, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ praying for you. It's enough to make anybody happy. Are you a joyful person? Does that mark your life, joy? You know, following Christ is a joyful experience. I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But the the second question I would ask, not only is your life joyful, but is your life purposeful? Purposeful. Now hear me out. Everybody asks the big questions in life. What is my purpose here? Why am I here on this earth? Unfortunately, once we come to know Christ... We stop asking the question. The great, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Next. No, not next. Go back and ask that same question. Why am I here? Why am I saved? Why did God choose me? What is my purpose? Am I fulfilling that purpose? It goes without saying that coming to Christ is going to make you a happier person. But that's not the the be-all and end-all of becoming a Christian. I found a uh, a little article this last week in a national study of youth and religion, speaking about high schoolers in particular, 12th graders, this uh, test was conducted with. Most 12th graders, 76%, say that they enjoy life as much as anyone. And this is even more likely to be the case for religious teenagers. 12th graders who never attend religious services are significantly less likely to say they enjoy life than those who attend. Those who say that religion is very important are more likely to enjoy life than those who have never participated. And topping the list was people who are born-again Christians. They're the highest amount of young people that enjoy life. We often tell people, Happy New Year. But it's more than that. And that's what I want us to walk away with tonight. It's more than just joyfulness. It's being purposeful in your life. Now, Jesus said that we are in the world, but not of the world. He says that in John 17, I pray for them, Lord. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. So 
that is your position. You are in this world, but you're not of this world. Now, what does that mean, the world? Paul said, don't be conformed to this world. John said, don't love this world. It doesn't mean the world of people. It doesn't mean the trees, the flowers, the grass. You don't walk around going, I hate you, tree. Grass, I loathe you. Mountains, get out of my sight. What are you doing? Well, the Bible says love not the world, man, so I'm just doing what it... No, that's not what it means. The world, according to the Bible term, speaks of a set of values, a set of ideals, a philosophy of standard of life that is controlled by the devil. He's called the God of this world. So we're not to be led by, we're not to fall in love with, we're not to be conformed to the ideology and philosophy of the world system run by the devil opposed to God. In the world, not of the world. Now, that's what Jesus said of himself. He said, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Jesus came from heaven to the earth, as we sing. He spent some time here. He died on the cross. He ascended back up into heaven. This was just a stopping off point. Nothing permanent about it. He came, fulfilled his father's will, went back to heaven. How ludicrous would it be if you were traveling somewhere and you had a layover in a city? Maybe you were there for two hours. If you were to walk into the restroom and look around going, this is so drab, I need to redecorate. Pardon me, you're only going to be here two hours. I know, but it looks so bad. But you're just passing through. And so, like Jesus, who came to fulfill his Father's will and was passing through, that's our position. We're in this world, but we have another home, don't we? We're looking forward to something else, I hope, than this place. There's an old Norwegian catechism that depicts God sending out people to an island colony called the Earth. God says to these humans before he sends them out, he says, the real danger is that you may fall in love with this island and not wish to return to the home kingdom. He said, love the island because it is my possession. Don't love it because it is your home. It is not your home. Your home is in the palace here with me. That's our position in the world, but according to Jesus, not of the world. But that's who we are positionally. What I want to share with you is who we are relationally. What I mean by that is not only are we passing through, but we have a relationship to the world. We need to have a planned approach to the world system that we're going to live in this next year. And that is to influence the world rather than being influenced by the world. Father, he said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I pray that you would preserve them or keep them from the evil one. Do you remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Jesus said that some seed fell upon soil that had thorns, weeds, and those thorns choked up the seed and it became unfruitful. 
That's the danger, is that living in this world, influenced by the world, we aren't bearing fruit and influencing them. They start influencing us, and we capitulate to their ideology, their way of thinking. So positionally, we're not of the world, but relationally, we want to live the kind of a life that makes an impact. There's a sign just outside of Zion National Park that reads something very, very simple, but I think a good philosophy for us. It says, take nothing but pictures, leave nothing but footprints. You're passing through this world. May I suggest that you leave the right kind of footprints? What kind of footprints are you leaving? What kind of mark are you making? What kind of legacy are you giving to others as you pass through this world on your way to heaven? I've discovered that Christians have one of a few different responses to the world system. Response number one, isolate. Isolate. It's the thinking that says, they're all bad. And so we have to remove ourselves from all the badness. We'll isolate ourselves. And that's a mistake. That was the mistake of the monastic movement, people who rushed to monasteries because they thought the only way we can live a pure life is to lock ourselves away from the cooties, the evil juju out in the world. We'll lock ourselves away and we'll be pure and holy unto God. No, no, no. God wants you in the world. I remember years ago, a group of people planning a Christian village a Christian community. Now, it sounds good, doesn't it? Living next door to a Christian and another Christian. You go to the store, God bless you. You go to the gas station, hallelujah. Police pulls you over, don't worry about it. Grace. That's called heaven, okay? Or others say, I hate my job, man. It's really bad. All these unbelievers, they cuss and they don't love God. I wish I could work around Christians. All my problems would be solved. Taken from someone who works around Christians. It's neat, but it's not perfect. All right? We're still people. And we can rub on each other sometimes. Response number one, then, is to isolate. Response number two, equally as wrong, is to insulate. This is a philosophy that says the world is bad. I must insulate myself from them. I'm right. They're wrong. I'm good. They're bad. That was the thinking of the Pharisees. By the way, the name Pharisee meant the separated ones. Or we might say the insulated ones. They looked down on everybody else. And they separated themselves to the point, well, you ever read about a Pharisee evangelizing? What good news did they have to share? None. They were mad. They were legalistic. They pointed the finger. Isolate, insulate. There's a third response some Christians have. Vegetate. I don't care about the world. It's all bad. They're, they're going to hell. Sorry. What do you want me to do? This is the apathetic, lukewarm believer who has lost his or her passion for Christ. 
And so they veg in the spirit. There's a fourth response. Imitate. Well, I'm in the world and they all do this. Everybody's doing it. So I'll do it. After all, I don't want to be so weird as a Christian that they can't relate to me. So I'm going to start doing what they do so they can say, hey, Christians are just like us. Oh, that will really be attractive. Not. Fifth and best response to this world system, permeate. Permeate. Get out there. Get in there. Don't be like them. Be different. Be Christ. Be holy His. But rescue souls from darkness. Be different, but rescue souls. Permeate them. Go out. You know, Jesus never, ever wanted us to be away from the world. He wanted us to work right next to the drug addict, right next to the guy who swears and cusses and takes the Lord's name in vain. He wanted us there so that we could turn on that light. It's not easy. He knows that. We all know that. But permeation is the best response. And yet, well, that, that's my biggest concern. If George Gallup is correct with all of his Gallup polls, George Gallup has estimated that 95% of all Christians have never led one person to Christ. Just think, if this next year you would say, Lord, by the end of the year, use me to just lead at least one person to faith in Christ. I think Edmund Burke was right. And his words could never be more apropos than the situation we find ourselves in globally right now in the world. Edmund Burke said, all that is needed for evil to flourish is for good men to do nothing. Nothing. Just let it go. Not my job. Not my problem. No, permeate. A Midwestern newspaper had an interesting little article, just a, a little quip, actually, underneath a photograph of a, a church that had been demolished by a tornado. And the quip said, good news, we are pleased to announce that the tornado that destroyed the church last Friday did no real damage to the town. How sad that the church could be gone from the town and the town would rejoice and say, it's just a church, no real damage was done. Hey, let's make the kind of impact in this community where people know who we are. We stand up for Jesus. We're not afraid for Jesus. We're going to be His men, His women. Not vegetating, not isolating, not imitating, but permeating. Now, in order to do that, you need some equipment. Because we find ourselves in a position like being an astronaut. Astronauts can go out into outer space, but that's not their natural habitat. Earth is. A scuba diver can go under the water, but he is not a fish. He does not have gills. He's not meant to dwell there permanently. That's not his environment, his home. So for us to survive as God's people in this world, we're going to need some special equipment. Number one, you're going to need the Word of God, not just on Sunday. Don't just take the Bible out for a Sunday drive, all right? 
Open it daily. Charles Spurgeon used to say, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to somebody who's not. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to somebody who's not falling apart. That's why when I buy Bibles, I like to just kind of distress them a lot. And <laughs> Just kidding. Read it. Glean from it. Live by it this year. Every day. Well, I don't like to get up early. Then stay up late. I don't like to stay up late. Get up early. I don't like to do either. Do it at lunch. One week without reading the Bible makes one week. One W-E-E-K without reading the Bible makes one W-E-A-K. Week. Read it. Number two, I'll tell you what you're going to need to survive this next year. You're going to need God's family. You're going to need God's family. This town has so many great fellowships, great churches, Bible studies. Latch on to one. Get involved. Make yourself known. Serve other people. And develop a web, a group, a network, a family of accountability. Whereby you can grow and learn from them. And you can give yourself to others. And they can improve by your fellowship. The church needs you. God's people need you. I close with this. Because this is a tendency we have is to be isolated. And I know that large churches can sometimes attract the isolated Christian. It's a big church. I can get lost. And so some will even come early to sit by themselves in the back where nobody's at. I'm not putting down people who sit in the back. That's not the point. That point is move beyond watching. Move beyond observation. Don't be a spectator. Be a participant this year. Judson Swihart said this. Some people are like medieval castles. Their high walls keep them safe from being hurt. They protect themselves emotionally by permitting no exchange of feelings. No one can enter. They are secure from attack. However, inspection of the occupant finds him or her lonely, rattling around his castle all alone. The castle dweller is a self-made prisoner. He or she needs to feel loved by someone. But the walls are so high that it is difficult to reach out or for anyone else to reach in. I know that I'm speaking to someone here tonight, maybe several, who have been hurt by people in the past, hurt by Christians in the past, hurt by pastors or other churches in the past. Don't stay there. Don't camp there the rest of your life. Don't erect the walls so high that you're a self-made prisoner. You're going to need the Word of God and fellowship with God, and you're going to need the family of God. And the family of God needs you. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We need each other, and we need to make an impact. We have a vision statement here at Calvary, and we believe it sort of sums up the thrust of the New Testament. Three words. 
If you don't know them, I suggest you memorize them because that's what we're about. Upreach, inreach, and outreach. Upreach is our fellowship and relationship with God, our worship experience, our reading of the Bible, our prayer life and talking to Him. Inreach is what I just got through talking about, fellowship, integrating with other believers, sharing our gifts, learning from others, and then outreach. We need to be in tune with God. We need to be in tune with others. We need to be in tune with the world. We need to be in the Word. The Word needs to be in us. And when we're in the Word and the Word is in us, then we need to be in the world with that. It's powerful. It's powerful. Heavenly Father, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in a few short hours, we're going to march right into 2003 already. We know that time is marching somewhere. We know that it has a goal. It has a precipice. We know, Lord, that you are in control of all the times and the seasons of life. History as well as prophetically. But Lord, right here, right now, in this place, in this quiet moment, we want to dedicate our lives and hearts to you, our future, our new year to you. We pray that you'd use us. Lord, it's my prayer that no one here in this room would become isolated or even too insulated or that we won't just veg out and not get involved. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't want to imitate the world, but rather being unique and different, being holy, still being in touch with the world and permeating this system. So many millions of people under the control of Satan by a lifestyle that is unique, filled with joy, filled with praise, making a difference. I pray that the footprints that we would leave would be significant. And so, Lord, right here, we make a fresh commitment of our lives. The past is gone. The new has come. Lord, also in this quiet moment, we can't help but wonder if some have gathered here tonight who've just been invited by a friend or they thought, okay, cool, I'll do a New Year's thing at that church and then do my thing. But Lord, you know every person here tonight. You know the thought of everyone in this great auditorium or listening over the airwaves. Whether we're sitting or standing, whether we're preoccupied and our thoughts are elsewhere, you know all that. And we believe, Lord, that you're here knocking on the door of hearts. As Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and have fellowship with him. Lord, we believe that there are, are people here tonight that you have brought not by accident, but you want to establish a relationship with, perhaps for the first time, or perhaps after many years, or that person maybe as a child made some kind of religious commitment and 
felt really good for a period of time, but then left you, backslid, went away from it, and it wasn't real anymore. Lord, we pray that you would draw all of those to yourself tonight. In this atmosphere of love and worship and fun and acceptance, we pray that some here tonight in this room would say yes to Jesus Christ, making a commitment to turn from sin, turn from the past, turn from those things that are holding them in bondage and say yes to Christ.